Well, good morning, everyone. So, uh, you know what they say about pastors that, uh, you know, we only work one day a week? Well, Corey was getting a little tired, so he asked me to fill in for him this week, so... <laughs> I had to take a shot. Uh, but he did ask me to, uh, to come in, come before you guys and uh, just share the word with you guys. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. If you guys want to turn your Bibles there, and we're going to be starting in verse 18. And once you find your places there, why don't you guys stand with me? And we're going to read the word together. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience." In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those who called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise that you give us in your word. Lord, that you are with us always. Lord, you tell us that if anyone asks wisdom, that we just come to you. So God, we are asking for wisdom from you this morning, for the Holy Spirit just to guide us through these scriptures, to impress upon each one of our hearts exactly what you have for us this morning. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So God's word gives us a lot of promises. And, you know, I'm thankful for that. He hasn't just left us in the dark just to grope and, you know, try and find our way around this life. He's, he's given us a guide. And not only has he given us a guide, he's given us promises to strengthen us along the way. And so many of those promises we're just grateful for. He tells us things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus says that I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, in, in my Father's house are, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He makes us promises like these. 
But then there's some promises that he gives us where, you know, me personally, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going, no, it's okay, God. That's, you, that's too many promises. It's okay. You know, when he says things like, all those who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Or in this world, you will have tribulations. Things like that. It's like, you know, God gives us promises. And we're going, nah, you can keep those. That's okay. But, you know, it's been said of the life of a Christian that you're either just coming out of a trial, you're just going into a trial, or in, you're in the middle of one right now. <laughs> and that, that can be so true that, uh, that God allows trials into our lives, but he does it for our good. He makes sure that we know that no matter what we face, he's always going to be there with us. And it starts here in verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So Paul, uh, through the beginning part of Romans chapter 8, had just been talking about the blessings of living the Spirit-filled life, about how God directs us and comforts us through the Spirit. Now he shows us that when we're empowered by the Spirit, we can really understand sufferings. And if anyone was qualified to talk about sufferings, it was Paul. You know, there's some times where we'll sit back and, and hear some of these things that the Scripture is talking about. And, and we can think to ourselves, well, uh, of course, that's easy for him to say. He hasn't walked in my shoes. He doesn't know what I've been through. And yet, Paul knows probably better than any of us. In 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, he shows us what he's been through for the sake of the gospel. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. Really what he was doing here, he was defending his apostleship to the Corinthian church. He says, I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. Can any of you guys imagine that? Being shipwrecked and then a night and a day just treading water. You know, I read a long time ago about a guy who uh, was pushed off the back of a cruise ship and was treading water for like over two days and was finally rescued. Uh, but, you know, you can imagine just the hopelessness that happens there. That was Paul. It says, on frequent journeys, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. So one of the most striking things to think about here is that he could have avoided 100% of this suffering if he just threw in the towel. Said, you know what, God? 
This isn't what I signed up for. But you look back at Paul's actual calling, it kind of is what he signed up for. Because in his initial calling, God told Ananias, he says, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so he got into it kind of knowing what the game was going to be like. And he could have avoided it. And yet he was somebody who not only suffered greatly, he was someone who suffered willingly. He did this for you and I, I mean, the things that he wrote, wrote over a third of the New Testament. And the things that he wrote, we're still sharing today. He suffered those things for the benefit of others. And there's two sufferings that Paul is talking about here. The physical, but also the spiritual. As difficult as his physical sorrows were, he really highlights the spiritual sorrow. He adds and says, you know, the pressure that comes upon me daily, which is my concern for all the churches. And if you've never been intimately involved with leading and mentoring another believer, you know, leading somebody to Christ, or maybe you didn't lead them to Christ, but maybe you came alongside them when they were a young believer and you're helping to shepherd them and grow them in the Lord. If you've never experienced that and, and known that, then you also probably don't know the pain that comes with seeing somebody fall away. I'm sure any parent of, of a wayward child knows this pain greatly. And, uh, and just that concern that is laid upon your heart daily. Um, in one of Chuck Smith's teachings on 3 John 4, which says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my, walk in, that my children walk in truth. Uh, Chuck Smith had said, you know, the converse of that statement is also true, that I have no greater sorrow than to know that my children are not walking in truth. And there is such a pain that goes along with that. Um, Paul knew this pain intimately. But he says that these sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. There's not going to be a single person in heaven that, you know, if, if they're posed the question, okay, just tell me, lay it on straight. Was all the suffering really worth it? You're not even going to have to think for a quarter of a second. I mean, not even for a moment. It's like, oh, yes. When you get to experience what God has prepared for each of us, that, that there's not even going to be a fraction of a second where we're like, well, I don't know. It was, you know, it's kind of like if you ask a loving mother whether the pain of childbirth was worth it, you know, for the joy of their children. You know, now... There might be some moms in the teenage years that got to think about that for a second, but most of the time, they're going to be no question, of course. It was totally worth it because I got to enjoy my children. That pain was nothing in comparison with the joy of having children. And I know it doesn't, as far as reading this scripture and believing it, that it says that, that these these sufferings, they're not even worth being compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. I know it doesn't always feel like that. You know, we're this side of heaven, so we've only experienced a certain amount. You know, it's, it's kind of like trying to 
describe a sunset to somebody that's been blind their entire life. You know, you can, you can do your best to try and describe it, but if you've never seen anything, your mind is just kind of trying to fill in what it could be like. In this side of heaven, none of us is truly going to be able to understand the glories of being in the presence of the Lord. But we need to make sure that we're walking by faith and not by sight. That our feelings don't dictate reality to us. Because our feelings can change with the weather. Literally, sometimes. <laughs> I mean, when we've been going through like four or five months of darkness and gloom, that sometimes it can be, you know, your, our spirits can be weighed down, literally just by the weather. But our feelings shouldn't ever dictate what reality is to us. So we need to have hope in God and trust in God and have that faith carry us through. I guarantee you that when we're in glory, that uh, none of us is going to be complaining about anything that happened to us on this earth. And then Paul continues in uh, 19 to 22 and says, the creation eagerly waits for anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. This world was not built to last in its present state. You know, God created it perfect and self-sustaining, but it was polluted by sin. And uh, it was subjected to futility because of what Adam and Eve chose to do. Now, before we throw them under the bus, we must understand that Adam and Eve were the best that humanity had to offer. None of us would have done any better. In fact, we would have failed probably in a quarter of the time that they did. And, uh, and, and so, sin polluted this world. The entire world is affected by it. If anybody loves gardening, you know that uh, we're still suffering under Adam's curse. I mean, how easy it to, is it to grow weeds versus growing something nice? You know, how easy is it as you try and keep your body in shape, how easy is it to get out of shape versus getting back into shape? You know, this creation is subject to futility, but the expectation is that it will be delivered and restored to where it will once again be at peace. Check this out. In Isaiah chapter 11, 6 through 9, Isaiah describes the redemption of creation. In that day, it says the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, the young lion, and the fatted calf will be together, and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit, and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. There's going to be peace once again. And right now, practically every wild creature has an instinctive fear of humans. When I lived in Truckee, um, we had a lot of black bears out there. And I was a mountain biker, so I would see... Uh, still I am, but would see my fair share of bears out there. 
And I had two different mom and cub experiences. And one time I was actually caught right in between a mother and her cub. I rode up on uh, mom and her cub in the middle of the trail. There was thick manzanita bushes, so I couldn't see around the corner. And I came around the corner and there's both of them. The cub ran toward me and up a tree right behind me and the mom ran that way up a hill and then turned around when she saw that her cub wasn't there and she started staring me down. And I'm going, oh no. <laughs> and so I, you know, tiptoed backwards, got off my bike and tiptoed backwards. And, and, uh, but she was staring at me and wanting to lunge at me, but you could tell she was being held back. I could tell there was a fear of me from them. And I mean, first, just by the way they scattered. But even as she stared me down, it was, you could tell that there was a fear there. And there was certainly a fear within me. <laughs> I was wanting to get out of there very quickly. Uh, but I mean, when you look at, at the reality of the matter, I mean, this bear was probably 600 pounds, could take me out with one swipe. There was no reason for her to be afraid of me other than the fact of this is what creation is a part of right now. And we are going to come to that day when there is no fear. I'll tell you, one of, I, I can't say that this is one of the things I'm most looking forward to, but I'm very much looking forward to hugging a polar bear. I don't know about you guys, I love polar bears. I love all bears. But I mean, just to run up and give a bear hug to a polar bear. I'm looking forward to it and we're going to be there. But I'll tell you guys, even creation wants to be free from Adam's curse. They never asked for this, but God will deliver all of creation as well as he's going to deliver his children. But it says that creation groans and labors with birth pangs. So these contractions, these birth pangs, they get more intense and more frequent as you wait for the delivery of the child. And it's plain to see that the natural disasters that we see in this world or the acts of God. Isn't it funny that the unbelieving world takes all the bad stuff that happens in this world and calls it an act of God? They don't acknowledge God in any other part of their existence except for when a tornado hits or an earthquake. Oh, that's God. But... Uh, you know, these things, are, they're getting more intense and more frequent. The delivery is coming soon. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys were, remember the Loma Prieta earthquake, which was also known as the World Series earthquake that happened in 89. Um, it was one of the most devastating earthquakes we had seen in almost 100 years. And it was only a 6.8 on the Richter scale. If you were around at that time, you know, just kind of in your mind, take a guess at how many earthquakes uh, that size or larger have happened since then. You know, I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, Haiti had a really bad one. Japan had a really bad one. And just kind of trying to go over, like, all these different ones. Since 1989, there have been over 700 earthquakes worldwide there were 6.8 or higher. And that's not even including the hurricanes, the tornadoes, all these different things that have been happening all over the world. It is ramping up, guys. And God is trying to shake us all and warn us. And, you know, just as 
I remember the first time when uh, we had our first son, my wife shook me and woke me and says, I'm having contractions. And then as they got more frequent, it's like, okay, no matter what, this thing's happening. And the Lord is doing that with each of us saying, guys, it's coming. I am coming for my church. Be ready. And, uh, and then he, he continues there and, and says, and not only that, but we ourselves who also have the spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we have hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So just as there's two types of suffering, the physical and the spiritual, there's also two types of groaning. Probably anybody over the age of 35 understands the physical groaning. You know, you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> I'm getting to the point now where if I'm like sitting on the ground or, you know, kneeling for any extended period of time and I go to get up, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. You got, got to stretch that out. That didn't used to happen. I, I ride skateboards as often as I can. And one thing I noticed about concrete nowadays, they make it way harder than they used to in the 80s. I'm telling you, it's, I don't get it. <laughs> but yeah, when I fall now, it hurts a lot more than it used to. And it takes me a lot longer to get better. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's the physical groaning. But the spiritual groaning is on another plane. Those who have tasted the first fruits of the Spirit... When you felt the touch and the presence of the Father through the Holy Spirit, you just want more. You want it to be a part of your life every single day. I remember the first day I was baptized in the Spirit. I was like, God, can't we just stay here forever? Like, I never want to leave this place. I never want to move. Just this, yes, always. And it's kind of like if you go into an ice cream shop and, you know, they give you one of them little tiny taster spoons to, to taste. It's kind of like going in there and, and getting that taster spoon and just be like, okay, I'm satisfied, I'm walking out. No, <laughs> you want the full goodness of that ice cream. You want the entire thing, maybe a double or a triple scoop. And with the Holy Spirit, that's what we are longing for. We desire to have that filling of the Spirit every single day and not have to bother with this nasty flesh hanging on to us anymore. But it says that the, we eagerly wait with perseverance. As we live out this life, everything that we do should be for the next one. If we're really living for eternity, that's where we're gonna be putting all of our stock, not in this vapor of a life that is here for a moment and then it's gone. You know, it's like when you go outside on a cold day and you see your breath just go and then it, it's just gone. The, that's really what our physical life here on this earth is. Compared to the scope of eternity, it's, it's over like that. And those of us who are, you know, closer to the end of our lives than we are to the beginning of our lives, we kind of understand that, you know, the older I get, the more I realize, man, this life went quick. I saw a bumper sticker once that I laughed at that says, help, I'm a young person trapped in an old person's body. 
I'm like, I get that. I still feel young, but my body tells me you are not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this eternity is what we should be living for. Um, and, and it says, though, that we eagerly wait for that with perseverance. So I love taking my family on trips. Like, just, what, I don't care if we're just camping or if we're, you know, when I took the family to Disneyland, I mean, I just enjoy that so much. Uh, my wife and I, when we lived in California, we were away from family, so it was very rare that we were able to get out together. And so we took an anniversary trip once, and uh, we went to San Francisco, and we had a hotel that was like right on Pier 39, and so I just wanted to make sure that we made the most of it, and, you know, didn't go there and then when we came home, just go, man, we didn't even do anything. We just, I, we walked around a bit, I guess. You know, I just wanted to make sure we had the full experience. And so my wife was just totally laughing at me because I totally nerded out. And I made an Excel spreadsheet that had a schedule for every single day. Like, okay, here's where we're going to eat this night. Here's where, he's laughing because he's probably the same way. <laughs> But I totally nerded out and Cheetah was going, oh my gosh, like, okay, that sounds stressful. But I was like, I want this to be flexible, but what I don't want to happen is for us to go home and go, oh, we should have done this. Oh, we should have, oh man, yeah, we just watched TV the whole time. <laughs> like, I wouldn't ever want that to happen. So I just, you know, prepared and saved up and, and made sure we were ready for this thing. And guys, that's how we're supposed to take the mindset of eternity. We're supposed to be eagerly awaiting for it, but saving up for it, preparing. Make sure that when we get to heaven that we're not going, oh man, I wish I would have, you know, all I did was watch TV the whole time. I just wish I would have saved up more. And that's really the mindset that we're supposed to have with this. We're going to continue here in Romans 8, 26 to 28. And it says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And I don't know about any of you guys. I know that I have weaknesses. I need the Spirit's help in everything I do. And it says here that specifically in prayer, the Spirit intercedes for us. The, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And there's so often where we go through a trial or we go through just something incredibly difficult in our life and we don't even know what to say. You know, there's uh, a pastor in Southern California named John Randall who shared it at a ministry conference once that he was going through an unimaginably difficult trial uh, just with things in his family and things in the church and just it seemed that everything was hitting him at once. And, and he would go to pray and the only thing that could come out of his mouth was mercy, mercy. And so often it's like that, that we don't, even know what to pray for. And even if we could, so often we can't even form the words to come out right. 
And it's not like God's sitting up there in heaven. Well, you know, you didn't ask, so too bad. You're not getting anything from me. No, 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 no. The Spirit comes in right beside us, and He intercedes for us. The Spirit knows our hearts. He feels our hearts, and He intercedes and goes before the Father in groanings that we don't even know what to say and things that we don't even know how to explain it. And often this, this can refer to the gift of tongues, but I don't believe in any way that it's limited to the gift of tongues, that just those groanings of just not even knowing what to pray, you know, as, as the Psalms say, you know, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, that we just groan before the Lord and he says, I got this. I'm going to take this. And then he continues there, and it says, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know if this is one of the top 10 most quoted verses in scripture, but if not, I bet it's close. You know, this is something that I've seen on posters. You know, people will make decorative pillows or even needlepoint that they hang out on the wall. And, you know, it's one of those verses that, you know, on, on the surface can just be a nice comforting verse. You know, you just look at it and just, oh yes, all things work together for good. You know, and it's one of those verses that if you stub your toe or if you hit all red lights on 95 going into Coeur d'Alene, you're like, it's okay. You know, God uses, he works all things together for good. So he had a reason for this. But you know, if a car wreck leaves you paralyzed or your spouse is diagnosed with MS, it's a little harder to take this verse at surface level. You have to go much, much deeper. To really grasp this and to believe it takes the work and the power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith. To really look at all things. He didn't say some of the things or light, moderate things or just the good, the things that are good already, that he still works them together for more good. No, he says all things. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Um, Britt Merrick, uh, who uh, was a uh, senior pastor in, in Southern California, um, his, his daughter Daisy Love was the same age as my boy Matthew. I remember them you know, running around and playing together at youth workers conferences. And, and she was diagnosed with cancer for the first time when she was five years old. And she went through four bouts of cancer by the time she was eight and a half. And eventually uh, uh, the Lord took her home. And in his first sermon after Daisy's death, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote from him. Uh, Britt said this. He said, what if God gave us the answer to the question, why? Does that make the pain of life any better? Does why fix the broken heart? There are, I assume, I trust, good answers but there are no satisfactory answers. Why did this happen? Well, sin. Okay. You know, for the God's glory. 
okay. But couldn't he bring glory to himself in some other way than an eight-year-old girl who has cancer for the fourth time? And so the why question is not so easily answered because it isn't the right question. Jesus points us to the real answer to our current pain. He gives us something that saves us from the endless trouble of why. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In that moment, he redirects the question to stop being why, and it now becomes who. Not why do bad things happen, but who is present with us when they happen. It's not about why, it's about who. He makes the issue one of God's presence. All is not well in the fallen world, but none of you will suffer without the Father's care. The presence of the Father is enough for the deepest places of pain. And so when we go through things like that and we experience that presence of the Father and the care and the comfort of the love and the love of the Holy Spirit, we can truly start to understand that, you know, we can trust God that at the end of all things, we will be able to praise him. It doesn't mean that somehow life just miraculously doesn't hurt anymore and that there's no more grieving, there's no more pain, but there will be a day coming when there is no more grieving, there is no more pain, and that we will be able to praise God in spite of everything that has happened in this world. And when we really get to that point where we can trust the Father where we can understand that he has a greater plan in mind that, than we could ever imagine, that is when we're able to say, as Paul did, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's funny how that verse so often is just used, you know, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And typically what people are talking about is I can win a football game or I can go to the gym and lift more weight. And wait, no, no, no. When Paul said all things, he wasn't just talking about sports. He was talking about suffering. He was talking about tragedy and being able to praise God in the midst of everything that happens. And then he goes on from there and says, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And guys, God has a pre-planned a way for all of you to look more and more like Jesus every day. There's not a single person who really fits that description of, oh, if I walked into a church, God would just burn the building down. I've heard that so many different times. Or, you know, the place would get struck by lightning. No, 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 no. Do you think your sin is greater than the blood of Jesus? I don't care how many sins you've committed and how long you've been at it and how many times you've rejected the Lord. His desire is for you to be conformed to the image of his son day after day. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're told this, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, 
just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And many times, God uses sufferings to make us more like Christ. He uses those things, those experiences. If things were just hunky-dory, happy-go-lucky every single day of our lives, we probably wouldn't have the concern for others that we should have. But when you go through a trial, you understand the comfort that comes from the Lord and you want to give that comfort to others. 2 Corinthians 1 tells us that. And uh, so many times he will use those sufferings to do that. And there's some Christians out there who are of the mind that they're sinful. They're always going to be sinful. You know, I've been struggling with this flesh my entire life. You know, so why hide and try and change it? You know, why, why even bother trying anymore? You know, I'm just going to go on doing what I'm doing and enjoy the grace of God because I know God will, will receive me just as I am. You know, we shouldn't hide our sin. We shouldn't be hypocritical and try and pretend that we're someone that we're not. But we also shouldn't accept it in our lives and just justify it because that's really throwing in the towel. You know, we are called to fight the good fight. And yes, much of the good fight is against the principalities, powers, you know, the, the rulers of darkness. But so often fighting the good fight means fighting the flesh and allowing the spirit to win that battle. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we brought in a, a basset hound and uh, adopted, you know, it's before the, the term rescue dog existed, but we rescued this dog. And uh, when we got him, his belly was just super, super bloated because his insides were just ravaged with worms and just all kinds of terrible things. I mean, his ribs were just showing. It was, it, it was just a really, really sad sight. Uh, now, since we loved him, we just left him in his present state. Said, yeah, you know, that's good enough. No, we didn't. We cared for him. We got him the medical attention that he needed. And in the same way, our father does not look at us in our present state and say, ah, good enough. You know, sin's just ravaging our body and destroying us from the inside. God's not sitting back saying, ah, close enough. We'll let it go. No, he wants to change us. And guess what, guys? We are never a finished work. Even Paul said that about himself. He's like, not that I have already attained. I am not already perfected, but I press on. And so that has to be the battle cry for each one of us. That Lord changed me today. Yeah, I messed up yesterday. But guys, that's why the scripture says that his mercies are new every morning because we need new mercies every morning. I don't care how good you think you were yesterday. You need new mercy for today. And so do I. And, uh, you know, we don't have to go on struggling in the bondage of sin. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have freedom from sin, the forgiveness of sin, so we don't have to walk in it anymore. And then just in close, he says, whom he justified, these he also glorified. Notice that, that this is written in past tense. It's already done, guys. 
We haven't lived up to that point yet, but he sees us as a finished work. Often we can't look in the mirror and see ourselves as a finished work, but the Lord sees us as already completed. Philippians 1.6 tells us, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Guys, it's his faithfulness that we're counting on, not our own, that, that we fail every day. But, but that's not what we're judged by. We're judged by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And he has forgiven us and justified us and glorified us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the promises that we have in you. We thank you that your love is greater than anything that we could ever get ourselves into. And Lord, we thank you that no matter what we face, no matter what we suffer, Lord, you are there with us. You are present in our lives day after day. So God, I just pray for that fresh vision to be upon our eyes. Lord, that we can recognize your presence, that we can understand that you have a plan for everything that we're going through. And Lord, that you are going to minister to each one of us whenever we come to you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.